Okay, 2 Timothy 3 and 4. You know, as I've been studying through these pastoral epistles, I've really been reminded how important it is to stay in the Word of God. And I've been really trying to remind myself of some of the truths and some of the things that the Word of God admonishes me about. You know, when I remember the Lord is my shepherd, I realize that my life is under his control and I really don't need to worry because he is my shepherd. When I think about green pastures and still waters, I get a picture of the provision of God for me as I I think on his word. When When I think about he restores my soul, you know, he lifts me up when I let him down. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He reminds me that my life should glorify him. When I think about his word, even though I walk through perilous times, I don't have to fear evil because I know that he is with me. He prepares a table before me and does that in the presence of my enemy. He anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. So I become convinced that good things and that mercy belong to me in my lifetime. He reminds me that someday I will dwell in a house with him forever. It's important for us to know his word. It's important for us to know its benefits, the benefits that are hidden in its pages. We need to discover them and we need to appropriate them. And I think that's what young pastors That's what older pastors need to do is to make sure that you're getting things from the Word of God that you can glean, that you can remember, like the 23rd Psalms that I kind of used as an illustration. And that's one of Paul's thoughts to Timothy, his young emissary, Pastor Timothy. These are the last written words that we're going to study tonight of the Apostle Paul. He says, stay in the Word, Timothy. Teach the word and fulfill your ministry. You know, he is realizing that his time is short. He's about to be executed by Nero. He has charged Titus and Timothy with certain things. Be prepared for the churches that are coming out of Jerusalem, the refugees and the exiles. They're coming and they're, they're coming with maybe some strange, strange doctrine. So be care, uh, careful with that. These events that were going on in the world provoked Paul to write these pastoral letters, which we're about to finish tonight. And the underlying theme of all three of them is get things in order. We saw that he wrote and he urged them in the first two chapters in the first book of Timothy and also in Titus. He urged them, he exhorted them, he reasoned with them, and he instructed them. Paul really put a lot into these three letters that he wrote. He told them to continue in some things, pursue some things, flee some other things. He told them to fight a good fight. He told them to guard the truth and to guard the gospel. He told them to set things in order appoint elders in the church. He told them to hold fast to the doctrine of the word of God. He told them to adorn Jesus. Things we've studied in the last little little period of time. 
But again, in all three of these letters, there's a sense of urgency that Paul is, uh, is putting into it. Timothy, Titus, young men who were about to be given a great responsibility of the church and the saints. Paul knew that into the future, he knew that persecution was coming of Christians was going to continue. False teachers were already taking up positions within the church. Christianity was under attack. It's moving from Jerusalem out to other parts of the world. Circumstances and changes were coming. And Paul specifically addressed this in our study tonight. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these instructions to these young men through the Apostle Paul on how to do church, what to say, and what's important. Help us in leadership, Lord, and all of us who are teaching, even in children's ministry or in the ladies' or the men's ministry as we teach, to realize the things that are in these letters apply to us. So, Lord, speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So, chapter 3, verse 1. Let's go through the first five verses. But know this... Timothy, that in the last days, perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Man, Paul's lucky Titus and Timothy didn't quit, you know, because if that's what's coming, if that's the kind of people that you're going to have to deal with in these perilous times, then that is a tough, tough, tough situation. Back in chapter 1 of 2 Timothy, Paul told, I mean, yeah, Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift that's in you. Stir it up like stirring up the embers of a fire. He said in verse 8 of chapter 1, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. And then in verse 12, he gives us this verse that we all love so much. He says, um, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that that I have committed to him until that day. In chapter 2, Paul talked of the characteristics of a faithful minister. We saw the discipling pastor, the pastor who makes disciples, brings people along. We saw the single-minded soldier the soldier has to be about the, the business of being a soldier. He can't be caught up with the things of the world. We saw the disciplined athlete, the enduring farmer. And last, we saw the diligent teacher. That was what uh, Paul pointed out to us in that second chapter. So here we are. Perilous times are coming. In the Greek, the word for perilous means difficult times. Times that are so difficult that you don't know what to do. Something that sprung on you quickly, very serious, grievous times, without notice, unexpectedly. 
And then he says at the end of that verse, he says, in these last days, the days before the second coming of Christ. Second Peter, a letter also written towards the end of the church age, says, Peter says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust. And we see that today. We see many people scoffing at Christians, scoffing at our beliefs, scoffing at us and calling us bigots because we take the Bible literally. We believe in the sanctity of life. And so people are scoffing at us. In Jude 1.18, we read, Now they told you that there would be mockers in the last times who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. And boy, don't we see that? Don't we see that happening as we look at different things that, are, that have gone on and around the world? It's just amazing. But then again, Paul's words in, in verse 12, I am not ashamed because I know whom I believed and that he is able and the use of this by Paul shows Paul was expecting the Lord to return at any moment. 2,000 years later, we are expecting the Lord to return at any moment. And we know that by looking down. Look at down at the end of verse 5b because Paul tells, these, tells the Timothy, turn away from these people. Get away from these people because he knew that the Lord was coming soon. So in verse 2, it says, again, Paul is writing to men. He says, for men will lovers of them. What men is he talking about? Well, he's a pastor of a church. He's a pastor of the churches in the area around Ephesus. And Paul left him there and said, men will be lovers of themselves. And remember that Paul wrote to Timothy, this is how to act in the house of God. So first on the list is lovers of themselves. And that one thing, selfishness, leads to all other sins and all other things that are listed here for us, leading to coveting in all areas. And aren't the advertisers just horrible the way they make us all feel so inadequate in different things? We're inadequate in the way we dress. My exercise program stinks. My machine, the old machine that I have from 15 years ago, is outdated and doesn't work anymore. And the diet that I was on yesterday has been outdated by the diet today. Over and over and over again, advertising and marketing is telling us that we need to do things to help us with our appearance, help us with our health, help us save our money, change our status in life. Even in the colleges are saying, if you come to us online in three easy months, we can get you an MBA and you can get promoted at your job. And you can make more money, and you can buy more things, and you can have more stuff. Lovers of themselves turning to coveting all things. And that love of yourself pushes you to love money. Desiring more so you can get more. And we become boastful. Boastful boastful of the things that we have. We become proud showing themselves above others, trying to talk ourselves above someone else, blasphemers, evil speakers, revilers, and partiers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, all speak about being unreligious and nothing, in other words, not having a purpose, not having a system to things, but just being disobedient. In verse 3, the King James Version reads like this, Without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, 
incontent, fierce despisers of those things that are good. They speak of things that man does against his fellow man. And they all carry in the way the Greek is structured there, the idea that they are truce breakers or covenant breakers. How many young pregnant girls come in pregnant because a guy made a covenant to her and says, I love you. He didn't love her because if he loved her, he would have never done the things that he did. But he broke that covenant. We see in marriage the breaking of covenant. We see in contracts. We see in just relationships between people over and over the breakings of covenants and promises and agreements. It carries that meaning of covenant breaker. And then lacking self-control, incontinent, specifically in the area of sexual behavior. It seems that our society, along with Paul's society and the cities of Corinth and Athens and all of those cities, were wholly given over to their lust and to the physical things. And even today, we see that more and more of of trying to attract people and to get people to give in to their sexual appetites. And verse 4, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure... Your love of pleasure will destroy your love for God. And it's so uh, important that we be careful with the pleasures that we have. Sometimes we think we have liberty, but those liberties can take our time. They can take our energy. And then we get to a place to where we're not looking into his word. We're not, we're not uh, strengthening ourselves in the things that are important. In verse 4, a form of godliness, an outward appearance. And then, interesting, he says, having denied the power, the gospel to save. The gospel is the power to save you, but it's also the living regeneration. It's that regeneration that takes place, the sanctifying influence of it. Remember in Hebrews 4.12, it says that the word of God is alive and active. That word can constantly be regenerating us and making us new and making us alive. And then at at the end of that section, it says, from such people, turn away. You know, when you look at what Paul was talking about here in perilous times, he must have been thinking, man, this is like the days of Noah. Well, I don't know what it's like when you guys look around at the perilous times of today, but it sure seems like it's the time of Noah. And at that time, God had to step in to the affairs of man and save man from himself. And, you know, there's this thing that's going on. We're waiting for that last person to get saved so we can get out of here. Okay. Well, there's a whole economy scale. And I I kind of wrestle this with God sometimes. Okay. We're waiting for one more person to get saved. Okay. Hundreds of people to get thousands of people, but there's millions going the other way. You know, where God are you going to come? I think he's going to come at any moment. I really do. And we should live our lives like that. And I think that's what Paul is saying to Timothy and to Titus. This is an urgent message I have for you. The Lord is at hand. Perilous times are coming. False teachers are coming into the church. Be aware of these things that I'm telling you about. Let's look at the next couple of verses. So starting with verse 6. For of this sort, those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sin, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disappointed concerning the faith. 
Paul tells us of these who caused trouble in the church, learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And sometimes even within the church, there becomes a division between those who are in the academic side of the church and those who are in the emotional time. In, in, uh, in Acts, it talks about the Stoics and the Epicurean, and these two groups were having battle over things. One group was really into feelings. The other group was really into knowledge and thinking. And so there was this battle that was taking place. That society was like that. Our society is like that. Where does the criticism come against the church and against Christians? It comes from the college professors, the university's professors, who want to speak against it. You go to a university today and you call yourself a Christian, be ready for a battle, and it's going to come from those who have the academic degrees. In verses 10 and 11, he continues, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, and perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, were persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. But you're not like Timothy. You have followed me. But you, you have careful followed me, Timothy, is what he's saying. My doctrine and my purpose. Your manner of life. Your expression of faith. You have suffered long in your short life. You demonstrate love. You've shown perseverance. You've handled some persecutions and afflictions. Then for some reason, Paul decides, let me tell you about some of mine. Let me tell you what I've been through. And he lists some that we could just easily pass over. Yeah, yeah, we know, Paul, you had a rough time. Yeah, we know that you were in these, these cities of Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. But I look at the end of that passage. Look at the end there in verse 11. And out of them all... The Lord delivered me. So let's take a look at these. These events are all found in Acts 13 and 14. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to read you some of the end results of some of the things that took place there. The men of Antioch, they cast them out, Paul and Barnabas, to the borders of the city. In 13 uh, verse 50. When they heard the rumor that the people were out to stone them, in Iconium, they fled because of hearing the plot. They were stoned at Lystra and dragged to the edge of the town as if they were dead and thrown down. These three things happened. They're recorded for us. Paul was truly persecuted in them. But what's the purpose of Paul bringing them up into this passage? It's that last phrase. The Lord delivered me out of all of them. And you know, sometimes when we tell our testimonies and we tell our stories, is it to tell our story and get people to unite with us or feel with us or think of us as something? Or is it the Lord delivered me out of that? I was a troubled soul. I was into drugs. I was into alcohol. I had this going on and that going on. Is it to bring up the fact that I had all this going on, or is it to bring the glory to the Lord to say, but the Lord delivered me out of them all. Should be our purpose when we tell our story, to make sure that the Lord gets the glory. 
So as we look back at these things, or we look in our life, have you ever been cast out? You ever been shunned from a group of people where you're not uh, there anymore? Have you ever had to flee from a situation because you knew that this group was out to get you? Or have you ever had an emotional stoning? Have you ever gone to a situation where you just knew that this, these people were heaping stones on you across the room? You know, we don't do that anymore today, but we do it emotionally to people. We should be more impressed with the Lord's deliverance than the situations. And that should be our message. But even in these situations, look at how the Lord delivers. In Antioch, he delivered them from stoning by having some men take him out to the edge of town and throw him out of the borders. So, yes, they were thrown out of town, but they didn't get stoned. And sometimes he saves from stoning by letting the foe's um, plan be known. So they heard the plan and they fled. They ran away, but they didn't get stoned. And sometimes he delivers from the stoning by letting you go through the stoning. They took him out to the edge of town, threw him down thinking that he was dead but he was still alive. If they had done a good job of stoning, he would have been dead. But the Lord delivered him out of all of these things. Timothy, I want you to know persecution's coming, but the Lord will deliver you. No matter how he chooses to deliver you and me from the things that we face in our life, our message is the Lord delivered me from them all. One of your favorite verses like mine is verse 12. Um, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. How many of you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? Shall suffer persecution. (laughs) Thanks for the honesty, Ken. Thank you. If you desire to live a godly life, Patmos interns and students coming you're going to suffer persecution. Many even use this against us for our stand of Christ. You know, if God is so good, then why are you going through this persecution? You know, if God is so good, why do you have cancer? If God is so good, why is this happening or that happening in your life? If you want to grow in the Lord you want to be in service, then you're going to suffer persecution. I have an opportunity for somebody who wants to be persecuted. Looking for a missionary coordinator, somebody to coordinate our missionary activity here at the church to keep our missionary table up to speed, to communicate with our missionaries back and forth by email, uh, to from time to time inform the congregation of what's going on with our missionaries. If anybody feels like they'd like to be our missions coordinator, what does it say here? It says... Yes, and all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, I think that would be a very godly thing to do, to serve the church as a missions coordinator. We won't go on with the rest of the verse. We'll just leave that to it. Verse 13, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving the very elect. Imposters coming into the church, things getting worse and worse. And aren't things getting worse and worse? It's just going from from bad to worse. More and more people are calling good evil and evil good. 
the church is being called evil because we have opinions that support the word of God, are supported by the word of God, and we're being called bigots, we're being called um, ungrateful, we're, be call, we're, be call, we're being called lots of names. Sin is being excused at all levels of society. And even moralist, non-religious moralist, a person who's a moralist that doesn't have the uh, Christian faith or doesn't have a biblical background, moralists today are being called bigots because they have a moral understanding of life. In verses 14, if you continue in the things you have learned, continue in the things that you're sure of, knowing from whom, and that's in the plural, from Paul, and you remember his mother and his grandmother were people who influenced his life. The Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament, can make you wise for salvation. So verses 14 and 15. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures because your grandmother and your mother have taught you and then I have taught you, which are now able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The only Scriptures that Paul had were the Old Testament. He didn't have any New Testament. He didn't know that he was writing this to be part of Scripture. That wasn't what he knew. All he knew was the Old Testament. I was talking to somebody tonight at dinner, and he said, you know, I saw more grace. He just finished the Old Testament. And he said, I've seen more grace in the Old Testament than I've ever seen before. It really came alive to him. Well, that's exactly what Paul is telling Timothy. If you look at the Scriptures, they will make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. You will see Jesus in the Old Testament if you just make sure that you find him on every page. He is there. And then verses 16 and 17 is one of those verses that we looked at the weeks before we started going through the Bible in Genesis 1-1. We took a look at a couple verses and had a study on what the Word of God was all about, if you can remember those. We started that journey some time ago. We're going to finish it this year, and we're excited about that. But those three verses were 2 Timothy chapter 2-15, just a page over, where he tells Timothy, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then these verses, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We are to be diligent in the way that we approach the study of God's Word. We are supposed to be able to discern the truth of Scripture. The other verse that we, we talked about was Hebrews 4.12. We know that the Word of God is active and alive and is discerning between the soul and spirit. It can cut us. Haven't you been reading the Bible sometimes and the Word of God just speaks to your heart and says, You know what? I really need to do that, or I really need to knock that off. That is the power of the living word, because it is alive. And then in verse 16, all scripture, and again, at the time, Paul didn't know that his letter was going to be included in that scripture. It's given by the inspiration of God. It's God-breathed, God-inspired. The men who wrote down the words that we study in the Old Testament came from God, and that's what Paul's telling Timothy. These are inspired words. These are important words. They come from God himself. 
And they're profitable for doctrine, which means teaching the truth of God. You want to teach the truth of God? Teach from the scriptures. Reproof, setting one right by using the word of God. And then correction, also setting one right. Sometimes we might even call that rebuke. Instructions, disciplining, as a father would his son, uh, of training, instructing, of warning, of examples, of kindness, promises, and even chastisement when necessary, even a swat if necessary. That's what the Word of God can do for us. And the purpose of that is so that the man of God would be equipped by the practical appropriation of Scripture. You want to be equipped to, to live in perilous times? Then be in the Word of God and be in it regularly, be in it always. And I think, like Pastor Brandon was uh, explaining earlier, there's a time just to read the Bible and just sit down and read it and let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Don't try to study it. Don't try to figure out every word. You know, why is this or that? Just read it. There's other times to go through and take a, a book of the Bible and study it and go into a little bit more depth. And there may be a time when you want to take a chapter or a verse and look at every single word and just take your, your, your concordances and look it up and get to really get a good feel for what's going on. So there's different types of study and purposes of the Word of God. But the necessity of the Word of God to us as believers is so important. Don't we show it in the way we are? How many of you brought your Bibles to church tonight? Wow, Word of God is important, okay, because you carry it to church. Don't you, some of you ladies, I see some faces here that go to ladies' Bible study on Thursdays. Why would you go study the Bible more? And guys, I see a bunch of the guys from the men's group. Why would you be going to Bible study, Bible study, carrying your Bible around? Now Bible college, we're going to go into Bible college. Because that's what matters. It matters with the Word of God. That's the message Paul was trying to get to Timothy. Keep preaching the Word of God. Keep teaching the doctrines of the God. Keep the people in the Word of God. Because, you know, others are going to come into the church and they're going to be imposters. They're going to come in and they're going to be able to tell you, I got this great series. I'm going to give you a series on how to make money by giving money. And then they go off on a series. Or they're going to give you a thing, you know, the... I don't know how many little ones we have in here, but there, you know, there were some pastors who were putting big bulletin boards up and come to church and find out the best, the best part of sex in, in, from the Bible. And that's horrible to draw people in for that. But that was their purpose. That's what they were doing because imposters are going to come in. That's why Calvary Chapel goes through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, book to book, verse by verse. It's called expository teaching. It's so that you learn it and then you can use it and you can apply it and it will work and minister in your lives. In our lives, we we carry to church and we study in groups. But do we really get it's important to us and how important it is? And do we allow it to do its work in our lives? David said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's what David said. And in Psalms 19, we have a a really great song, which we probably could sing it if we wanted to, but we won't. The law of the Lord is perfect. This is Psalms 19, 7 to 10. Psalm of uh, uh, David. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right and rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. 
The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And then verse 11, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping of them there is a great reward. The importance for us to know the word of God. The word perfect in that passage means entire, complete, without blemish. That's what the word of God is. It's sure. It is faithful. It's full of assurance. It's right. It's straight. It's just. Pure, clean. It's the choicest. It's absolutely clear. It's perfect. It's flawless. It's, it's, uh, it has purpose. It makes the wise simple. Timothy, be diligent. Study it. That's what he's telling them. It rejoices the heart. How many of you have been encouraged by sitting down with your Bible and reading it when you're going through a tough time, when you're trying to figure out life? It was also given to authenticate the divinity of Christ. In John 20, we read this. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It was written to bring hope to mankind. Romans 15, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Don't you get hope when you sit down with your word and you read through it? When you think about the perilous times, you sit there and you watch the news for hours upon hours and hours, and finally you turn it off and you open up your Bible and you read something, and then you realize that there is hope. It gives us assurance of eternal life from 1 John. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And what an assurance it is for us to know that the Word of God over and over reminds us of our eternity. It was and should be loved by the saints. Do you really love the Word of God like David did? He wrote Psalms 119. Here's three verses from that psalm that talk about the love. He said, I delight in your commands because I love them. Oh, how I love your law. I meditated on on it all day long. How do you do that in our society today? You can't walk around with your Bible at work, walking around down the hallway, trying to meditate on it. But you can write a verse down and put it on a three-by-five card, and you can take a look at it 20 or 30 or 40 times a day and just memorize it or just let it speak to you. There's lots of ways for you to do that with the new phones and the headphones and all the things we got going on. There's plenty of ways for us to really do that all day long. And in Psalms 119, 140, your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. You know, I remember times in my life where I had to depend upon his word and that dependence, that time of grabbing a hold of something that was more solid than the perilous time that I was in should make me um, realize that I need it all the time, not just when I go into those times of trouble. You know, I I heard it said that the person who prays only during a time of trouble is in trouble. You know, Um, when we go to the word of God, only when we're in trouble, we're in trouble. Okay, so we have to be careful with that. Blessings are promised to those 
who reverence it. And for in Joshua, the Lord told Joshua, do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Matthew uh, chapter 7, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them to practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. So when we look at Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he was to be diligent when it came to the word of God. He was to present himself approved to God. In other words, he wasn't to approach it haphazardly. The word for rightly dividing the truth is to cut it up straight and then to give it out, the word of truth. That's what he was to do. And because here in 3.16 we see it is given by God, it's inspired, it's profitable, it is to make us complete, it is to equip us for every good work. Paul had previously written to the Colossians and he said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. How the word of God helps us when we have to deal with situations in the church or in our families or in emotions. Sometimes when things are really um, out of whack, we tend to want to go to the scriptures for that. Now, sometimes we can be a little bit too flippant with it. You know, I hear somebody had a, a car accident. I walk, oh, all things were together, bro. Just don't worry about it. That's not the right way to do it. Find something that gives them comfort. Okay, and so there's a way to use the Word of God, but it's important for us to do that. And then in chapter 4, Paul is giving Timothy one final charge, one last exhortation. And he does this before the God of the universe, before the judge. Remember, perilous times are coming. These are Paul's last words to Timothy. And he says, chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you. Therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Wow, man, he just took him to the throne room, to the to the trial room, to the to the courtroom of the world of everything's going to be judged. I'm, I'm charging you before him. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke. Exhort with long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Enduring afflictions to the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Preach the word. The word is to herald, proclaim the word of God. Why? Because it changes lives. It brings people to the place of salvation. Be ready, ready to go. The idea there is to be on guard. You know, we live in the mountains and we have earthquakes, we have fires, we have snowstorms. We're supposed to have a backpack in our car with a few essentials in there, like a blanket and an ice scraper and some water and some candy bars. That's what I would put in my backpack, but (laughs) you guys probably have some kind of healthy bars or something like that. Aren't we supposed to do that? Don't we know that? And we're to be on guard. 
Some of us don't have that, do we? Some of us just, we know, we just, we just don't think it's going to happen to us. The word here is be ready, be on guard. And then convince or reprove, that is to correct people. Use the word of God, Timothy, to do that in the church with the elders that you're setting up with the people. Rebuke, protect. Reference to the false teachers. If somebody comes in here and they're teaching a false doctrine, I'm going to take the word of God to them and I'm going to rebuke them and I'm going to protect you. If I hear somebody sitting over there on the dinner table speaking a, uh, a doctrine that's not true, be sure I will find out about it and I will convince them from the word of God. One of two things, either by the word of God, your doctrine is incorrect or by the word of God, you don't belong here. So that's what will happen. OK, but that's what he's telling Timothy. He's telling Timothy, protect the people, rebuke them, exhort, encourage and lift up. And that is such a great attribute. That is such a great ministry. If God's given you the ability to lift others up. Start doing it. Just do it all the time. Lift people up. Be happy for them. Thank them for their ministry. Thank them for their service. Thank. Hey, Ken, where are you? Where's Ken? Ken, thanks for picking up all those pitchers of water tonight. I appreciate that. If you see somebody, encourage them. Let them know that you see it, okay? Because that's important. Teaching doctrine, rightly dividing the word of truth. Cut it cleanly and pass it out so people can use it. And the time will come when people will be lovers of themselves. They won't listen to solid teaching. They'll find a study like tonight boring because it doesn't have a lot of stories in it and it doesn't have a lot of hoopla with it. Well, people do that. People go from church to church trying to find somebody who appeases them, somebody who can uh, make them laugh or somebody who can um, tickle their ears is what it says here. They will listen to those teachers because they're teaching what the people want to hear rather than what God's word says. And so Timothy, teach the word. Itching, the word itching there is having a craving to hear teachers who give them pleasure, who make them feel good. Even turning away from hearing the truth unto fables. But you, Timothy, be watchful. Endure affliction. Set an example. Spread the gospel. And then he says, fulfill your ministry. The thing that you were called to. Paul's very last word of this charge. Complete your responsibilities and as a minister. And then he emphasizes that by giving some great words of his ministry. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to finish the ministry that you've been called to. I want you to complete the work that I'm giving you. I want you to get it over. Fulfill your ministry. And then Paul says of himself in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing, those who are looking forward to him coming. Emphasizing his own ministry, he tells Timothy, fulfill your ministry. I charge you to preach the word, be ready, convince, rebuke, exhort. Timothy, be willing to be poured out. Fight the good fight. Run the race to the end and keep the faith.
One last thought. Paul's life and this charge to Timothy to fulfill his ministry should cause us to be reminded that our finishing depends upon the way of our doing. What are we doing right now? The way of our doing should depend upon us staying in the word and reminding ourselves of its truths and its admonitions. The way that we finish depends on what we're doing right now. And if we're in the word and if we're paying attention to it.